Hello, Duck fans! Welcome back. It's another day. Uh, the true midweek edition of Locked on Ducks. You see, uh, the one I thought would be dropping today, we only got halfway through, so I went ahead and posted it last night. And I am joining you now, Wednesday morning, with the remainder of the Midwest region of the 64 greatest college players of all time. And you notice I've been hesitant to say NCAA players of all time, even though I try to work that into the into the Twitter post, right, for for those SEO purposes. But anyway, uh, or SEI or whatever they call it. But uh, there are many players here, especially uh, we talked about Nancy Lieberman, who, gosh, uh, never played for the NCAA because they didn't have NCAA women's basketball. But anyway, the critique is going to come on Friday. Right now, we're going to drop the remainder of the Midwest region of the 64 greatest college basketball players of all time. Let me go ahead and reach down here and flip the switch. The American in front, almost a cult of the United States. He's a sort of athletic beetle. Locked on Ducks. My name is Jordan Long, your host. You can always find me on Twitter at the Dust Off Guy, and you can follow the show on Twitter at Locked On Ducks. Yes, it's Wednesday morning, and I'm bringing you a lot of fun live to tape content about the 64 greatest college basketball players of all time. We're going to go ahead and wrap up the Midwest Division today, and then we're going to be bringing you the South Division tomorrow, uh, Thursday, and then on Friday we're going to have a special guest. Big suspense. I know we've only had one guest ever on this show multiple times, so you might not be able to guess who the special guest is, but he'll be, be, be on heel. I guess I, I gave part of it away there. He'll be on the show on Friday, and we're going to uh, review the 64 greatest uh, ball players of all time. And then over the weekend, I'm going to put them into brackets, and hopefully I can get from you some input on Twitter. You can always reach out to the show using the hashtags AskLodPod. That's hashtags AskLodPod. Go ahead and tell me what you think of this list, who should be on it, who shouldn't be on it, and who you think should be advancing to the Sweet 16, the Elite 8, the Final Four, and eventually the greatest college basketball player of all time. Now, I don't try to be a homer. It happens. It happens. For those of you longtime loyal listeners, I know you're out there. I appreciate it. But you know that I can be a homer at times, particularly when I keep insisting that uh, Justin Herbert is going to go to the Bengals first overall. But anyway, I try to set my homerism aside, speak from the heart, talk to you. Uh, we're going to have some great guests in the coming weeks. We're going to try and do a show uh, uh, next week, like with Locked on Raiders, talking about Marcus Mariota. In a couple weeks, I want to do a show where we talk about some of the greater games in Oregon Ducks history. I'd love to have the uh, host of uh, Locked on Nittany Lions talk about the 1995 Rose Bowl so we can look forward to that. Very excited about some of the content that's coming. It's been a really uh, difficult couple of weeks and I've been kind of trying to put a smile on it, call it the sports apocalypse, call it the uh, NCAA tournament cancellation graveyard and all this. And, and that's just me trying to put a positive spin on things because 
when you when you listen to Locked On Ducks or you listen to any Locked On podcast, you're listening to daily content, right? That's Monday through Friday. That's your daily sources. I always say of updates, info, and analysis. And so when other podcasts aren't coming up with anything because, yeah, the Oregon Ducks canceled the NCAA tournament, so uh, we're we're not going to have any content on that. Well, I'm going to continue to try and bring you something, and the best thing you can do as a listener is if you're hearing this, and you're like, oh man, that's not what I want to talk about while, while we're just sitting around waiting for football to start, or sitting around waiting for you know them to figure out what they're going to do with uh, the NCAA tournament and whatnot, then go ahead and reach out to me on social media. You can always find me on Twitter. I, I already said where. If you, Twitter's not your jam, you can find me on Facebook. Just look up Jordan Long. My picture is the um, Locked on Ducks logo, so you can't miss it. And let me know there what kind of things you want to talk about. I like to think of this as the People's Podcast, where I use your input to make sure I'm having fun, you're having fun, and our tendencies can meet in the middle and have a great experience for everyone. But for now, I want to get on to the action. So if you listen to yesterday's show, it's actually yesterday evening's show, you'll remember we left off with Steph Curry. And one of the things I tried to emphasize, and in my not-so-subtle way, I did it, which is that he doesn't have a ton of details. And that's because Steph Curry was not a phenomenal college player. But for some reason, he's number 12 all-time college player in the Midwest region. So that's something we're going to be addressing on Friday and something I'd love to hear about from you on social media. But right now we're picking up with number six all time in the Midwest region. And that's Jay Williams versus number 11, David Robinson. So Jay Williams starting out, he, he played for the uh, Duke. He was a blue devil played from 1999 to 2002. And his freshman year, he averaged double figure scoring for, for the year, which is great for a freshman at Duke. You know, they have such, such a phenomenal program that it's really hard for a freshman to have that kind of outstanding year. He was kind of what I like to call a three and done, you know, one and done, two and done, three and done. Anyway, he finished uh, with Duke number one in the AP poll all three years that he played, which is is excellent and, a, and really great for this resume. He was a consensus player of the year when he was a junior and a two-time consensus All-American. And for those of you that have been listening for a long time, you're going to get tired of hearing me say this, but consensus All-American means like AP All-American, uh, the, the sports writer All-American, just the basically getting the All-American vote from every, uh, I think it's five different institutions that, that submit that every year. So uh, he was also an NCAA champion 2001 and holds the Duke single season scoring record of 841 and to be honest like if <laughs> if you're playing for duke having a single season scoring record says something about your college resume for sure he led the acc in scoring that year as well and he ended up being drafted by the chicago bulls in 2002 second overall behind Yao Ming, of all people, uh, number one draft that year, 2002. He played a season, and then he had a motorcycle accident in 2003. And he crashed into a light pole. He broke his pelvis. I think he had all these, like, dislocated ligaments in his knee, including tearing his ACL. Uh, He severed one of the main nerves in his leg. 
and when he was riding the motorcycle, he wasn't wearing a helmet. He wasn't licensed to ride a motorcycle and he wasn't actually permitted to be riding a motorcycle per his contract with the bulls. I, I had a contract like this when I was an army helicopter pilot. And I know, uh, football players can't like go play, play paintball or something during the summer or the off season. So he wasn't allowed to be riding a motorcycle, but the bulls paid him a $3 million severance anyway. And I call it a severance, but anyway, they paid him $3 million, even though his accident, uh, negated his contract with the bulls. Um, he tried to make a comeback in 2006. He was uh, brought on by the New Jersey Nets. And then th that didn't work out because I, gu I guess the injuries were lingering and, and too much for him. And then he played for the Austin Toros in the development league, the NBA D League. But he retired from basketball right after that. Uh, he's now an announcer for ESPN. But in a, a 2016 memoir... Uh, and I love it. It goes right to my heart, speaks to my heart. And that is anyone who tells it like it is. And he said that he spent his entire severance from the Bulls on painkiller addiction. And, you know, I, I, I teased out a little bit an interview that's going to be coming up with George Ragster. And what I want, one of the things I want to talk to him about is player health and like NFL healthcare and, and some of these issues. So anyway, more on that coming later. Hope that's a good tease. Hope you like it. Right now, i got to take a quick break, and we're going to come back and talk about David Robinson. Welcome back to Locked on Ducks. My name is Jordan Long, your host, and we just got done talking about Jay Williams. Very unfortunate story, motorcycle accident. Uh, if you didn't get a chance to listen, go back and listen to the first segment. But next up, I want to talk about David Robinson. He played for Navy. Right? The midshipmen, okay? 1983 to 1987. And he is widely considered to be the best Navy, the best midshipman basketball player in history. He's the only player to have 31 double-doubles and 207 blocks in a single season. That was his junior year. He was a consensus first-team All-American and a consensus second-team All-American. He won the... Uh, Nysmith Award and the Wooden Award. And, well, but part of it, I mean, that's as a consensus player of the year in 1987. And, again, consensus player of the year means the Nysmith Award, the Wooden Award, the NABSI Award, the uh, College Basketball Association, writers. Like, like there's there's several different awards that go into that it, it, consensus. So he's consensus player of the year in 1987. And he won two gold medals and won a bronze medal in the Olympics as a basketball player. He was drafted first overall by the Spurs in 1987. And it's interesting, he actually had to wait two years. Though they drafted him number one overall, they had to wait two years so he could fulfill his obligation for the Navy. Uh, right When he graduated, he still had to do two years <laughs> active duty in the Navy. But uh, he played for the Spurs for 15 years until 2003 and as you well know David Robinson is beloved he's a basketball hall of famer and uh, I mean if he isn't one of the greatest all-time college players he's one of the greatest all-time NBA players um yeah David Robinson number 11 on our uh 64 greatest greatest college players of all time Midwest region next up we have number seven Elvin Hayes playing against number 10 another spur Timmy Duncan 
So starting with Elvin Hayes, he played for Houston. Uh, and for those of you Washington State fans, that's also the Cougars. So if I say Cougars, just remember it's Houston Cougars from 1965 to 1968. He was actually, they, they, there were two uh, African-American athletes at Houston that year. They were the first ever African-American athletes to play for Houston. And he was one of them. That year, they lost to the Oregon State Beavers, who were the Pac-8 champions in the Western semifinals of the NCAA tournament. And the following year, though, they made it to the Final Four and beat UCLA in the first ever televised college basketball game. And he was actually playing against uh, Lou Alcindor, which, uh, you know... uh, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, but Hayes had 39 points and 15 rebounds against him in that game. And they in the following year, they lost in the semis in a rematch with UCLA where he was basically shut down by uh, Alcindor. So uh, Hayes is a two, two-time consensus All-American, AP and Sporting News Player of the Year, uh, 1,200-plus points in a single season, which is phenomenal, second all-time behind... Pete Maravich, it, that, it, you know, 1,200 plus points, uh, 24 rebounds versus uh, uh, UCLA in the NCAA semifinals again, uh, in 1967 is a second all-time in the NCAA. He also has had 31 points per game average, which is 15th all-time, and he had a career-high 37 rebounds in a single game in his, his final year. So over the course of his career, he already mentioned 31 points per game. He had over 17 rebounds per game and is the all-time NCAA tournament history leader with 222 total rebounds. He ended up being drafted first overall by the San Diego Rockets. Yes, San Diego Rockets. And played there and then went on to Houston uh, where he played for the Rockets for four years. And he played for the Bullets in when they were the Baltimore Bullets the Capitol Bullets, and then finally the Washington Bullets, even before they were the Wizards. Uh, he came back to Houston and, and played for, for a few years, 81 through 84, uh, to finish out his career with the Rockets, and he is in the Basketball and College Hall of Fame. Next up, one of my favorites of all time, Timmy Duncan, uh, Wake Forest, Demon Deacons, uh, 1993 to 1997. He's a two-time All-American, Consensus Player of the Year, He's actually the winningest player in Wake Forest history and also holds the ACC all-time double-double record with 87. He averaged 16 points per game and 13 rebounds per game, but he was a 58% shooter. You know I got a soft spot for the smart ones. I keep mentioning that. And we're going to talk about just how smart Timmy Duncan was, but his opponents derisively, now I don't see it as an insult, but derisively called him Mr. Spock. Because he was so stoic. He had this stoical demeanor that they nicknamed him Mr. Spock. And his freshman year was actually limited, but he had a breakout year his sophomore season. And he promised that he would compete, uh, sorry, that he would complete college before he entered the NBA draft. It was extremely important to him to get a college degree. And this was a time when Tim Duncan could have been a two-and-done, three-and-done. He was that good, but his commitment to uh, graduating from college before he declared for the draft, he said 
you know, he was studying psychology and Chinese literature. That is phenomenal. I love how smart this guy is. I love how stoked he is. And if I were him, I would be proud to have them mugs be calling me Mr. Spock. Uh, he actually beat Rashid Wallace's North Carolina team in the ACC championship game uh, where they headed to the tournament and actually made it all the way to the Sweet 16. He was defensive player of the year that year. And he took over the team in his junior year. Now, Randolph Childress, who I don't think we've talked about yet, was drafted into the NBA that year so or the, the previous year. So, so Duncan took over the team. And essentially, as their leader, he won the ACC tournament, advanced to the Sweet 16, but he came down with the flu. And they lost in the Elite Eight without him uh, playing. Such an instrumental part of that team that year. But he did win Defensive Player of the Year again and was the ACC Player of the Year. And his senior year, he ended up losing in the ACC tournament. And they still went to the NCAA tournament. Now, remember we talked about how teams prior to a certain point, only the uh, tournament champions went to the uh, uh, NCAA tournament. So they go to the tournament and lost against Stanford in the first round. He ended up drink, being drafted first overall by the Spurs in 1977. And he played for them for 19 years. He's now an assistant coach for the Spurs. Recently, uh, Pop had to sit out uh, for a game, a couple games. I think he was ill. And, God, such a leader. Timmy Duncan. My, my memories of him aren't really from college. They're more this guy who was always there on the sideline, like, high-fiving and encouraging his buddies. Such a leader. Such a great player. But this will this will come into play on Friday when we discuss, when we break down who these players are and whether or not they deserve to be here. Because I, as much as a Tim Duncan homer that I am, it's really quite possible that my affection for him comes from his time in the NBA. And that may have more to do with why he's on this list than his college play. Which, admittedly, is a heck of a lot more than Steph Curry's college play. But more on that Friday with our special guest. Next up is our final matchup. And I'm, I'm, should I tease it out right now? Yeah, okay. So we're next up, we're going to talk about Will Chamberlain versus Sabrina Ionescu. And yes, we have one of our mighty Oregon Ducks playing against Will Chamberlain for one of the 64 greatest college players of all time. I got to go ahead and take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk Wilt and Sabrina. Welcome back, folks. This is Locked on Ducks, your daily source for info, updates, and analysis. And when the coronavirus has waylaid sports for the greater American population, you can still count on me to bring you interesting stuff. Yes, it may be history lessons about how fun it is to watch Tim Duncan play basketball, but Locked on Ducks is going to be here for you every day. Info, updates, and analysis during this difficult time. Uh, next up is one of our more fun matchups. I probably should have saved it for our final episode. We're going to be doing the South region tomorrow, but for now, I do want to talk about number eight college player of all time in the Midwest division, Will Chamberlain, against the number nine college player of all time in the Midwest division, Oregon Ducks own Sabrina Ionescu. So Will Chamberlain played for Kansas from 1956 to 1958, and he has a very interesting story. 
He is one of the greatest basketball players of all time. There's no doubt about that. And his time at college was cut short, and we're going to talk about why. But he definitely has a storied college career. Uh, In his opening game as a freshman, he played the Kansas varsity team. If you remember, uh, we already talked about how freshmen at this time could not play in NCAA competition. Only varsity teams could. So the freshman's first game of the season is almost like an exhibition game, if you will, against the Kansas varsity team. And the Kansas varsity team was the favorite to win the conference that year. In any case, Will Chamberlain comes out as a freshman, ineligible for NCAA play, scored 42 points, 29 rebounds, and four blocks against the Kansas varsity team. He had his heart set on playing for Fog Allen, but Allen retired in Wilt's uh, sophomore year. And so by the time he was NCAA eligible, the, 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 the college coach hero that he had wanted to play for had retired. And it's widely speculated, if not confirmed, that had he known Allen was going to retire before he could play NCAA-eligible basketball, he would have not gone to Kansas. But anyway, he goes to Kansas, and he has a bit of a contentious relationship with Allen's replacement. But in his, nevertheless, in his varsity debut... He broke a University of Kansas record with 52 points and 31 rebounds in a single game, right? So his varsity debut as a sophomore is more impressive, which of an already very impressive freshman debut. He was also big eight track and field with a 10.900 meter time, a 56-foot shot put, a 50-foot triple jump, And he won the high jump event in three years in the Big 8 Track and Field Championship. So if you don't know how how meaningful those numbers are, go ahead and ask track fans around you. Because this guy was extremely athletic for his size. A 10-9-100 time at that size? And a shot put? Uh, Okay. Okay. Anyway, enough. I'm long-time listeners, and those of you who listen to... Emerald City Sports, before I came on to Locked on Ducks, no, I am very much the Steve Prefontaine fan. I ran track in high school, so that's kind of that's kind of my thing. So I'm really attached to this stat. But anyway, I threw it in there. I'm not going to apologize for it. Uh, in the so so the regionals of the of the 1957 NCAA tournament were actually segregated, and the Jayhawks all through that tournament endured the most repulsive, racist, rampant, and disgusting abuse imaginable. I'm sure there are a lot of you that can imagine a lot worse, and I I don't mean to get into that, but the bottom line is that for Wilt Chamberlain playing in the 1957 NCAA tournament, it it had to be rough. But they ended up playing North Carolina in the finals, and they lost in the final seconds of that game. And uh, Will Chamberlain actually said that it was the most disappointing loss of his career, uh, mostly because of the effort that he put into that game and the numbers that he put up in that game. And they still came up with the loss. I got to kind of run through the rest of Will Chamberlain here because um, 
I want to get on to Sabrina Ionescu, uh, greatest women's basketball player of all time. So in his junior year, even though they were number two in the nation, they lost a conference championship game and missed out on the tournament because even if you were number two in the nation, if you lost a conference championship, you didn't get to, get to go to the NCAA tournament. Two-time consensus All-American, uh, NCAA tournament's most outstanding player, uh, 1955's Mr. Basketball USA. Uh, he actually dropped out. Now, I do want to mention this. He dropped out after playing ball. Uh, he dropped out of high school because he said it was no longer fun because he was literally guarded by three to five. Yes, the whole team would crowd around him. Because remember, there was no shot clock or anything. The other team would crowd around him. He said it was not fun to play. And he ended up selling a book, which he titled, Why Am I Leaving College, for $9,000. Now, remember that the... No, he sold, he sold the book for $10,000. And the average pay of an NBA player back then for an entire season was 9,000. So he sold his book. Good on him. You know, you take that, you take that, you make the money when you can, but he was still prohibited from joining the NBA because there was a rule that said you had to wait until your class graduated before you were eligible to join the NBA. So he played for the Harlem Globetrotters for that, for his senior, during what would have been his senior year, he played for a year with the Harlem Globetrotters. And he ended up going into the NBA. They didn't have drafts. He was a, a territorial pick by the Philadelphia and later the San Francisco Warriors, right? But he switched back to playing for the 76ers. And then he played for the Lakers for the final five years of his, his team or his term. And he went on to coach for a, a year or two in 1973. One of the most interesting college careers imaginable and I think this is going to deserve a lot of talk on Friday when we break down these results. But now, I want to bring you... That's my best effort at a drum roll. Sabrina Ionescu, the Oregon Duck, 2016 to 2020. In her career, and I'm going to be reciting some stuff we've already talked about on the show, but in her career, she had 2,562 points, 1,040 rebounds, 1,091 assists, and is the first player... Men's or women's ever to have 2K points, 1K assists, and 1K rebounds. One of the most all-around, effective, powerful basketball players imaginable. She's also the second ever female player with 2,000 points and 1,000 assists. I'm sorry, 1,000 rebounds. And the uh, her 26 career triple doubles. I feel like that's 27. I, I, I Please... Uh, hit me up on hashtags AskLodPod because I feel like that should be 27. But anyway, 26 career triple-doubles is more than twice the number of the second all-time NCAA triple-doubles. She has the single-season triple-double record. She's a three-time All-American. She led the Ducks to the first women's Final Four in 2019. She's a two-time Pac-12 tournament titles, three-time Pac-12 Player of the Year, Two-time Nancy Lieberman Award. Yes, we talked about Nancy Lieberman. She's got her own award now. She's a USB, uh, the, the Writers Association National Freshman of the Year, a Wade Trophy winner, a Wooden Award winner. And so far, now, as we know, this stuff has been canceled, so we're going to see how, how, how it is going forward. But so far, she's a Naismith and Wooden and on the Wade Award watch list. She has been announced. It was announced in the last couple of days that she's the Associated Press Player of the Year. And I want to talk about what she's done for Oregon basketball. Now, this may not have such an impact on uh, 
the national basketball picture, but it does speak to the effect that she, the attention she brings to women's basketball. And longtime listeners are going to know that I've been harping on how Kobe, one part of, if not the main thing that Kobe Bryant's legacy was intended to be, was to make women's basketball a viable, legitimate, equal sport and not just some kind of hobby. And Sabrina Ionescu brought that to Oregon. The attendance in the year before she played, the average attendance the year before she came to Oregon was 1,501. And then the attendance in her sophomore year. So so she plays as a freshman. And then in her sophomore year, attendance went from what we just said to 4,200 4, plus in just two years. And by her junior year, attendance was 7,200 people. And I've mentioned in an earlier show, I believe that her final game had 12,500 people. But average attendance in her final year, which she came back to play because she said there was unfinished business in the NCAA tournament, as you all remember from that episode, where yeah, I think the episode's called UNESCO Makes History. Please go listen to it. Anyway... I believe the average attendance in that final year was 10,500. She is expected to be drafted first overall in the WNBA by the New York Liberty. Now, Coach Kelly, uh, Kelly Graves, says that, yeah, sorry, I said Coach Kelly because I'm, you know, I'm kind of Eagles, uh, Ducks football. Anyway, Kelly Graves said when it's all said and done, that UNESCO is going to be the Marcus Mariota of Oregon basketball. Now, I submit to you that she's going to be the Sabrina UNESCO of Oregon athletics and that Marcus Mariota will be the Sabrina UNESCO of Oregon football. Sabrina is an all-time great, super excited to be able to talk about her, but those arguments are going to have to wait till Friday. For now, we really got to wrap it up. I'm running over as usual. Yes, I had been accused of being a Bill Walton on that last episode where I was lauding his uh, color commentary and here I am, blah, 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 blah. Yes, okay, fine, fine, fine. Call me to Bill Walton of announcing. That's why I do a podcast, okay? I'm super happy to have you here listening to me. This has been Locked on Ducks, your daily source for info, updates, and analysis of Oregon Ducks football and basketball. I did get the words Oregon and Ducks and football and basketball in on this show even though we only talked about one of the greatest Oregon athletes of all time, Sabrina Ionescu, in the 64 greatest college players of all time. Look forward to Friday where we're going to break down and analyze this entire list. But for now, tune in tomorrow, Thursday, when I talk about the South region of ESPN, 64 greatest college players of all time. Uh, this has been Jordan Long, your host. You can always find me on Twitter at the Dustoff Guy, and you can find the show at Locked On Ducks. Reach out to the show using the hashtags AskLodPod. That's hashtags AskLodPod. There, give me questions, give me comments. Tell me who should not be on the list, who should be on this list. Do should I even be doing this list? You need to let me know so that way we can call this the People's Podcast and I'm talking to you about what you want to hear. But, like, like the great Bill Walton, I runneth over. Thank you very much. Good day. Great week. Talk to you tomorrow. And go Ducks. <laughs>